0: The Spot Track podcast talking sports contracts, the salary cap and business of sports.
1: Today's edition of the Spot Track podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans with no better place to get breaking news, real-time commentary and powerful stories than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues. You got a personalized feed of exclusive ad-free content every single day. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack for 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash track. We are also presented by Balanced Bridge Funding, providing capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Customize repayment plan and cater it to your financial objectives and needs. Borrow wisely. There's no fees and there's no penalties if you pay it back early, which many do. Whether your client is currently under contract and needs a bridge against guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest in their next deal, or looking to borrow money for any other reason, let Balanced Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you today. Visit balancedbridge.com. My name is Mike Giannetti. I'm going to briefly break down the NFL trade deadline that was slash wasn't. I'm going to talk a little bit about Henry Ruggs. Then it's on to the NBA with Keith Smith. A little bit of a recap of the first two weeks and some financial nuggets. DeAndre Ayton, Ben Simmons. And back end. Baseball's done. For how long is the question? Cousin Dan and I kind of break down some of the bullet points of the CBA discussions that are going to be contentious and hot and probably lead to a lockout. So just a quick banter on where those discussions may be heading in the next couple of weeks and how long that may take. All right. NFL trades, obviously not the deadline many expected, although we should know better, knowing that the NFL generally doesn't push a lot through at this time of year. They're not like the other sports where deadlines are really, really impactful to the rest of the season. It's just a harder situation to get involved in. And you know, while the money really doesn't hold too much of it up, draft picks do. And I've mentioned that on Twitter. I think many of these really good teams right now are overvaluing their future draft picks. There are, there was a time to strike for a few players. I thought the wide receiver position absolutely had to get moved in a couple of areas here and didn't. Now we may see some waiver claims that's coming. I think maybe actually some very, very important names could hit the waiver wire here. Uh, I'm not going to mention who those are, but I've heard some rumblings. That was surprising to me, to me that obviously Von Miller's the big move, but is it, <laughs> um, is it really, is Von Miller going to the Rams, the discussion Or are the the Broncos paying $9 million to acquire a second and third round pick? The better discussion. I I think it's close. I think it's like 50, 50, 55, 40. I think Miller's going to make an impact. And now there's discussion of his extension. And and by the way, I just ran the numbers. He's going to be 32. He's got a ton of red flag injuries to discuss over the past three years. I can't even get them to eight million dollars a year based on what other thirty-two year olds look like in terms of contracts. You know, JPP at thirty-one got eleven million a year. Obviously, we saw what JJ Watt just did last year, and, and by the way, he's hurt, so I'm not sure that's the resume you want to have right now. Other than that, you've got like Mario Addison up there in in the close to ten million. It, it's not a very good resume to be that age as an edge rusher and try to make double-digit numbers. So I, I don't know that it'll be a huge extension. And, oh, and by the way, he's made his money. He's made tons of money in Denver. So he should be smart about how this operates. And you know, if it's three for 30, something like that, I think that's probably about right. I don't think we're seeing a top of the market extension for Von Miller is my point. It's, it's a good move by the Rams. It's an all-in move by the Rams. They're punting on some, some decent draft picks next year to say this guy can probably be at best a really nice depth piece to put us over the edge when it matters most come in the winter months i love it even if it doesn't work i love it other trades are there any really to talk about here there's really not there's really not unfortunately you know the 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 ldt trade from kansas city was a cap dump that's a that's a player that hasn't played in almost three seasons They they saved about a million dollars to do that and they needed that because they're going to maneuver here in waiver wires they're going to maneuver for next season for sure Melvin Ingram wasn't getting snaps in Pittsburgh, wanted out. That's how that ended. Kansas City gets him for $600,000, less than that, actually, for a sixth round pick. I love that for Kansas City. And how can you not? Because that should have an impact. I think the Saints getting Mark Ingram back makes sense. They're going to have to rely on this run game a hell of a lot more because Michael Thomas is out for the year. Jameis Winston's out for the year. It's going to be a very different looking Saints team come December than it was in september or certainly over the years in past it's just not going to be a high flying spread offense anymore so substantiating your running game with a, with a familiar face makes perfect sense to me for a seventh round pick no doubt in my mind other than that there's nothing really to talk about all right there's really not to uh, we'll see what happens on this waiver wire but it was it was underwhelming for for the most part i'm going to flip the switch here to henry ruggs which is just an awful situation I have absolutely no comment on the, on the actual allegations themselves. He's been charged. He's probably going to spend some time in jail. And that's why we got to where we got to last night, which is a full outright release by the Las Vegas Raiders. He's been released. I'm just going to talk contract real quick because that's the, that's the window that I sit in here. It was a fully guaranteed $16.6 million contract. There were two and a half years left. I'm under the assumption that the future salaries are going to be voided. Any kind of personal conduct suspensions like this, automatic void of future salary. That's about $5.7 million of future salary that he most likely, almost certainly will not see. That's including everything from week nine through week 18 of this year, all of 2022, and all of 2023. Now... I've still got some dead caps sitting on, on the Raiders roster right now. Okay. So that's the eight weeks that were paid out this year, plus the signing bonus proration from this year, plus the next two years of signing bonus bonus proration for next year's hit. It's possible that the Raiders go after that signing bonus. It's about 6.1 million left of, of unprorated signing bonus. They can do it. They can take it to court, to arbitration. They can try to recoup that signing bonus. That's a fight they may not want to get into. They may want to get into. You know, it's four point eight million dollars of cap next year that they they would certainly not like to have on their table. On their table, so it could get a little contentious in that regard. Is my point. I am keeping the signing bonus proration on the table for the Raiders as of now. I have assumed the fact that the salaries will 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 have voided. So, just if you're looking at the Raiders, that's how I've I've constructed the dead cap from here out. Um, that's all there is to say. You know, he's not going to get claimed on waivers. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a career in limbo at best right now, is the way to look at it. And it's unfortunate. It was a terrible accident, um, loss of life. That's all we have to say about that. So if, contractually speaking, yes, it was a fully guaranteed contract, but I'm taking 5.7 million of that off the table right now because of an assumption that they'll be voided. Okay? Let's talk some basketball and some baseball. All right, welcome back to the show. Keith Smith and Scott Allen, a little basketball talk. We're about two weeks in. I don't want to really analyze the season because that seems a little bit uh, of an overreaction, but w- there are some financial situations we can talk about, some that aren't on the court and a few that do impact the, the next few years in terms of rookies that are, will be moving up to veteran contracts. Keith, I'll let you kind of pick where we start here. What's the uh, what's got you burning right now in terms of NBA money?
2: Uh yeah, that's a good question. I, I guess because it's top of mind for me is just the the landscape moving forward past this year. And and we've talked about it in the past, but extensions are the game now. And, and we're seeing that's really changed free agency. Uh, I'm starting to do some prep work for next summer already. And it's a pretty weak free agent class. Uh, It's a low number of free agents and the ones that are there after you get past the first few guys, it's a lot of role players.
1: That's right. And you did a great veteran extension piece for us. That was kind of I think initially uh, I would have estimated that the Nets would have been the highlight of that piece. That's probably not the case anymore, is it? It's been uh, a quick fall from grace for a various reasons on that team right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we saw when Kevin Durant locked in very Early on in free agency, to a uh, uh, added on years to his contract through the 25 26 season, the expectation they I don't have any problem saying it because Sean Mark said it too is that James Harden and Kyrie Irving would be soon to follow. And then Harden didn't do it, Harden has said, Man, eh, it's not a big deal, we'll get there when we get there. He's kind of left it as he's not worried about it. And then Kyrie Irving, obviously, that situation is uh gone a little sideways for all parties involved as far as him playing basketball right now. And it sounds like there's not going to be anything that happens with an extension there until he actually gets back to the team. So yeah, rather than having three uh, stars, albeit aging stars, mm-hmm. locked in long term. Now it's Kevin Durant and we're in wait and see mode on Harden a little bit. I still, he'll resign. I feel pretty confident in that. And then we'll see what happens with Kyrie Irving because whenever you think you know what he's going to do, uh, you he tends to go the other direction
1: yeah there's just no reason for him not to resign and extend right from a personal standpoint and from a team standpoint him hitting the open market even though he'd be obviously the breadwinner of that free agent class that's still not his best approach financially speaking right keith
2: no, it's not. But he's also proven that he doesn't necessarily really care about the finances. He's, uh, he's you know giving up roughly half his salary this year by not playing basketball. So I think, uh, I, I think he is we, we say all the time with these guys, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Well, he's kind of doing it and proving like, yeah, this doesn't really matter to me all that much.
1: Let's talk to Ayton real quick, because we kind of glazed over that whole situation. We, we mentioned it a little bit and, and plenty of channels have talked about it, but what, is the, uh, what are the ramifications, what are the options now for DeAndre Ayton? He's essentially a player that is going to hit the July 1st open market one way or, or another. Um, does it change his landscape, his landscape with Phoenix? Do you expect there to be a situation where he will not remain long term because this decision has soured him with that franchise?
2: Yeah, it's certainly possible. We we I think it was maybe the first piece I ever wrote for for Spotrac was about uh, Luka Doncic and the idea of maybe signing the qualifying offer and why that was highly unlikely. Was the uh, end end uh, opinion on that piece and that is, obviously did not happen with him. Aiton's Similar boat, math changes, uh, of course, uh, with him. But number one overall pick, he's going to have a qualifying offer, $16.4 million uh, this coming off season. Does he want to sign that and then become an unrestricted free agent and be able to leave? Does he ultimately still get the long-term deal in Phoenix? They, it was interesting, the Suns, after the finals run, they re-signed Chris Paul. They re-signed Cameron Payne. We're starting to feel all right. Maybe they're turning the corner and they're starting to figure these things out. But then they, after inking, uh, Mikael Bridges to to a pretty nice-looking extension, I think, for both sides there. They then said, no, nah, we're not going the full five-year max for Aiden." Aiden's camp said, we're not accepting anything less, and that's where where it's at now. The, that team's about a million dollars or so under the luxury tax line as of now for next season. Uh, so we'll see where that ultimately lands out. My guess is they don't want to be more than maybe five to ten million over the luxury tax, so that's going to be hard if you resign Aiden to a max of nearly $30 million. So I don't, I'm not sure how that one plays out. My guess is it's going to be go out and get an offer, we'll match it. And we've seen in the past that doesn't always work out well for the team because that offer is going to come in probably three years, then a player option where he can get out as soon as he can and all those kind of things with upfront payments and there'll be bonuses and all these other structures uh, made to make it tough on Phoenix. And generally that turns out poorly by the end because then the player's ready to go.
1: Is there any world where the offer that probably should have been given to him by Phoenix is given to him? on July 1st or is that done?
2: Yeah, I, maybe if they can move off of uh, Landry Shamet or I shouldn't say Landry Shamet because they just resigned him. Mm-hmm. Um but if they can move off Dario Saric's contract and maybe get move some other money around it's possible then that they would go to the full max. And, and this is where it gets difficult, I think, is people have come and said, is DeAndre Ayton really a full max player? Like, are we? is this really where we're at? Is this, is this guy that good? And, and it's not necessarily about that. It's, it's not, these things don't work in vacuums. It's, it's, will he get a full max offer if he hits free agency? And the answer is even in a, a depressed market with only a handful of teams having cap space, Yes, he probably will uh, get get that full max offer. And that's where it becomes, well, we have to think about it then differently because it, it only is, the, I'll keep it clean for the podcast, but as I say in the NBA, it only, to, it only takes one, you can fill in the blank, to uh, make it all screwy financially for, for, for a group of people. So I think it becomes a situation of as long as there's a team out there willing to do it, then the Suns have to be willing to do it as well. I I kind of get where they're saying they wanted to conserve and not go the full five years, but this is one where I would not have messed around. You just had your best season in a decade and a half, and uh, getting back to the playoffs, you finally look like you're moving in the right direction. You had good fan support. You made smart decisions with all your other contracts, and then you cheaped out on one of the guys who's one of the more important pieces. It just doesn't really seem to fit. Let me
1: play devil's advocate because this is – kind of a, a, an angle that all these sports have been driving at for the past couple of years. And basketball has really gone the other way. what we're, what we're commenting on is a team that's allowing a player to finish out his contract, (laughs) right? They've decided to not pay him early, which across the sports that we cover, we've seen it burn a team so many times. And look, there's, there's a handful of players out there. You mentioned Durant and B a a very, very early extension here. You know, there are, a, there are a few players out there that are questionable five years down the line that are under term from age standpoint, from an injury standpoint. But teams are basically saying, who cares? Let's just get them under term. We'll deal with it then. This is the exact opposite of that. Why aren't more teams going this route? especially teams in like Phoenix that are not the elite big time, you know, the Lakers, the, those kind of teams. If you're a middle of the road team, isn't this how more teams should be operating?
2: I guess in theory, you you can say that, but I think if you're Phoenix, you do not want to develop any form of reputation of we're going to be hard line with players, because it's already that it's not as hard to get Phoenix players to go to Phoenix as it is, say, Oklahoma City. Uh, but as you said, they're they're not the Lakers, they're not the Knicks, they're not the the Heat. So they're, they're not pulling in those star free agents right off the, the top easily either. So I think it becomes one of those things where if you get this reputation of we're going to draw a hard line with these guys and that's it, then you now risk – all players see this, agents see this, there's – When you're talking about the best of the best, you're only talking about uh, anywhere between five and seven agencies representing Mm -hmm. the best players in the world. And now what you've done is you've kind of cut yourself off a little bit and made it into a difficult situation where maybe they didn't need to be one. And I think that becomes the challenging situation here for the Suns. you got to be smart about how you play this moving forward because, yeah, DeAndre Ayton, to some extent – It's he's just the vehicle here to Mm -hmm. have a bigger franchise wide conversation about what kind of franchise are you trying to be. And let's face it, this is a franchise that has faced uh, a lot of allegations and even proven truths to be very cheap or if you want to be kind about it you know fiscally you know responsible but i mean they've sold first round draft picks multiple times they have uh, let players go they sold their g-league team and basically said we, we're we not going to do it uh, regularly they 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 keep a roster spot open almost all year they've one of the teams they're actually carrying two guys now but they used to only carry one two-way player which that really is just truly a we don't want to spend around a hundred grand or so uh for this guy and that that just becomes uh, you start to add it all up and there there's one kind of consistent through line that I think becomes very worrisome for uh, people wanting to lock in there uh, long, long term and this was an opportunity to really kind of change people's thinking on that.
3: Let's stick with sort of the big man, Cleveland Cavaliers. We all scratched our heads at the beginning of the season, off season. You know <laughs> what what were they doing? it seems like they've gone against the grain from the rest of the league and went big. And it seems to sort of work right now, you know, from a financial standpoint is, is the, the Cavaliers sort of pushing a new trend going towards the big man and, and investing in something different than what the rest of the league is going at.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I- I don't know that it's going to become a trend because you have to have the right mix of big men. And I think what the Cavs maybe saw before anybody else recognized it is just how good Evan Mobley is. And that Mm -hmm. really unlocks a lot of things because he can defend on the perimeter like a, a wing that changes quite a bit. Laurie Markkinen is obviously his you know, best skill offensively is his ability to space the floor. So you can kind of play him more like a a wing player uh, out there. And then Jared Allen is, he, he's the traditional big in the mix. He's, you know, shot blocking, rim running, doing all the things that you do there. So I, I think that's where it makes it a little different. I don't know that we're going to see all these teams loading up and, you know, rolling out three seven footers at uh, once. But I do think well, what we may start to see is some teams are going to look at and say, "Hey, right, maybe if we've got a semi-athletic guy that in the last, let's call it five to eight years, we would have pushed to be all right, you you would have been a 3 in the 90s and early 2000s then in, as we get around 2010ish and a little later uh, up to 2020 we would have played you certainly as a small ball 4 i think you might see some transition to if we can get a little more size on the floor and these guys have some skill and ability to defend outside we can do that like i think about a team like the charlotte hornets they're, they're miles bridges over the last several years, has been all right, He has to be a small ball four, and now there's times where we are seeing they're they're saying, all right, we can play him at the three a little bit and, and work with this. And that's 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 uh, I think just makes it more interesting with lineup uh, constructions around the league.
3: What do they do with Colin Sexton? Is he still going to be that trade piece that people have been rumoring him to be? Do they do the Cavs need to make another move, or are they content in? riding out the Sexton-Garland situation.
2: I apologize. The dog is uh, making a racket in the background. I don't know what what she's all fired up about. Um, (laughs) Colin Sexton, I think what we're going to see with him is um, that they're going to continue to kind of let this play out and see where it's at. And then if we get to the trade deadline and he becomes – all right, we're, we're, we're ready. Cause they're, they're, they're trying to win. They want to get to the playoffs again. And it's not a, uh, that thing where, right. A lot of times we always say like, uh, do you, are you really okay with being the, you know, sixth, seventh, seventh, eighth seed in the playoffs? The answer for the Cavs is yes, absolutely. They, they want that uh, back in the playoffs. They want that experience. And I think what they're going to look at is, all right, if we can put Colin Sexton, uh, his six point point, Uh, 5 million or 6.4 million together along with jetty Osmond's 8.1 million and maybe throw one other salary together. We'll, we'll, we'll push all this and we'll, we'll get, yo in and get a player that we really need to fill some holes. I think they, they may go uh, that direction.
1: Camps are interesting and the bulls are surprising me. I know they're not surprising many teams, but uh, you know, to kind of break that down, those are a couple of teams that are certainly on the, on the good side of things I have to ask you this. I feel like I'm obligated as 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 having a podcast that talks about the NBA. Are the Lakers just going to be a middling team for a while here, Keith, until they figure it out? Or are they on the wrong side of this from a, from a team construction standpoint?
2: Yeah, so far for the Lakers, everything that we said... If it goes poorly, this is the ways it will go poorly. Russell Westbrook won't really fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're old, and that means generally injuries that might have kept a guy a, a you know out for a week is going to have him out for a month. Those kind of things become more serious for a team like the Lakers. So, and those have all come true. Now they've all come true in in October. So. Yeah. It's let's, let's not go crazy. They've still got a lot of time to figure this out. Uh, In the end, they still have LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, As we record this on a Wednesday, we saw LeBron prove on Tuesday night against the Rockets. Uh, Now that's not a great example because they probably should have hammered the Rockets, but prove all right, I got this, you know, get out of my way. I'm going to, well, I'm not letting us lose tonight. Uh, So it's good to see they still has that. Now you don't want them dipping into that bag uh, on the beginning of November against terrible teams uh, and having to be, be it that way. So I, I think it has the potential to still be okay, but everything I was worried about with this team coming in, I'm still worried about. And the challenge is, there's no real way to fix this roster wise because it's not like we just talked about the Cavs and I get, I rattled off four guys. I think that they could put together in a, in a, trade to pile up salaries and go get this. The Lakers do not have that because their salary structure is three guys on max deals, James Davis and Westbrook. Obviously James and Davis aren't going anywhere. and We, they're not going to move Westbrook mid season after just acquiring him. Then it's, they have Talon Horton Tucker at 9.5 million, Kendrick Nunn at 5 million, neither one has played this year because they've both been injured. Then it's all minimum contracts. So there really is very little ability to go out and make a you know major upgrade move. If if a player who makes, let's say, 15 to 20 million dollars becomes available it's going to be very hard for the Lakers to even get in that conversation. And they're also pick poor moving forward because of the Anthony Davis trade. So it's just all around, this is not a, uh, a great spot for them to be in. They need it to come internally.
1: It's fascinating. I, I don't see them playing defense, certainly not in November. I don't know if they can do it in February. They're going to have to outscore teams and that's going to be LeBron. And that's asking an awful lot after we've seen his body break down two years in a row. I, I just think it's a, uh, it's a long shot with the marathon of a season that that team can resist, you know, all these expectations. We'll see. All right. Ben Simmons for dummies, Keith. That's the next docket here. (laughs) Break it down for us. I I know that's probably not the right word to say here, but you know, he's not on the court. I believe he is getting paid. Um, How long does that last? What is the relationship like? Is this just Daryl Morey waiting this thing out and trying to basically win the chess game? And then they'll trade him on his terms. Is that how I'm reading this?
2: Yeah. It, uh, Mike, you and Scott probably go, go take the next 15 minutes, you know, go get some coffee or something. And then <laughs> no, <come back>.
1: give <laughs> me the two minute version. Two
2: <laughs> yeah, no, version. I'm only kidding. Um, Yeah. So you're absolutely right. He is back now. He is getting paid. The Sixers have stopped finding him. They have stopped. Uh, he's not suspended or anything like that. Now they are very much, he's like an injured player in all respects and he does have an actual injury that all parties have agreed he does with with some back soreness so that it, that is being treated i sitting on the couch he, too much <laughs> yeah it could be Well, that does happen that happened to me watching <laughs> uh sports this weekend i get up and was feeling a little sore i'm also woefully out of shape and well over 40 so uh that there's that problem too um <laughs> but with ben simmons there's also the added part of he's working through some mental health uh, stuff where he just doesn't feel like he's ready to play yet. It doesn't feel like he can take the court. Now, Daryl Morey expressed optimism in about a, probably close to a week ago of, Hey, we're moving in the right direction with this. We're finally, you know, he's here where we're getting this figured out. And then a story comes out yesterday and it's like, yeah, he still isn't anywhere close to playing. He doesn't really want to play for them. So there's, there's a feeling amongst many in the league of they played it, thought they could force their hand on a trade didn't force their hand now he showed up everybody's like it didn't nothing really changed other then he shows up to the facility each day and does kind of the bare minimum and then then checks out and and leaves again so this is you asked is Daryl Morey just waiting i i think he is because he has done so well in trades in the past with both the rockets and with the 76ers he is reticent to make a deal that's not a great deal for him. That's not going to be a winning trade. I mean, he, as much as said, hey, he's under contract for four years. We'll, we'll wait this out. Well, that's clearly not going to happen. As uh, I know uh, Andrew Brandt uh, covers the NFL, is fond of saying there will be lawyers. Like, yeah, there would be lawyers if you were just going to sit for the next four years. But I think there are some around the league who also are kind of applauding Maury and saying, good. Finally, someone's standing up to, to a player and saying, look, you don't get to make this decision. You signed this contract. And, like, we own, we signed it too, but we're in this together. We've got to figure this out. And then on the flip side, there's people who are saying, hey, these teams hold these guys forever, and they can just, or they can just trade them, As they see fit, I don't mind a player taking control here and and trying to control this narrative and and agency over his own future. So it's going to continue to drag out and be ugly. And the thing for the Sixers is they're now down Tobias Harris and the health and safety protocols, and Bede's knee is already bothering him enough that he's sitting out games and it's a conversation point on a daily basis. This has the potential to just fall all apart because the big thing that gets missed with Simmons is that's a thirty three million dollar salary hole on your roster because it's you you can't fill it. it's not it's not like if a guy breaks his leg, like Gordon Hayward did a you know a few years back and missed the season, at least you could go replace him because you get an exception and all these things. This is just sitting there, dead money on your books. This might as well be one of those guys where we start referring to it as blah, blah, blah's expiring contract, even though it's not, it's it's far from an expiring contract. It's just 33 million in dead money without any form of a uh, replacement player on the roster. And that's where it gets hard for Philly because they're, they're supposed to be a good team that's contending. And right now they've got needs and they just can't fill any of them until they figure out what's going on with this Simmons situation.
1: Last question on him. I know you're kind of deep in the woods with a lot of these NBA teams. Is there an offer out there for Ben Simmons right now that Maury's just saying no to?
2: Uh, right now, no. There was Indiana, um, that the, the Malcolm Brogdon offer but where it was going to be brogdon and somebody whether that be tj warren whether that be uh karis liver whether that be jeremy lamb there, there were offers on the table it was Brogden was the primary salary match there's gonna be another player and it sounded like it broke down over we want other picks we want other stuff we want this and that and that's where it never went anywhere well now brogdon can't be traded because he just signed a veteran extension which the uh the, the rules on that takes his his trade eligibility date goes past the trade deadline. So so he can no longer be moved in a trade for Simmons. So that's how uh, there were conversations with Portland uh, and it came out uh, very good reporting matched. Uh, some of the things I had heard um, as well was there was talks of the, I mean, gosh, Simmons for CJ McCollum has been mentioned for feels like for the last four years running. Yeah. And it was mentioned, but then Maury wanted Four first-round picks and swaps in the the, the intervening years and in all these other things and that's where the Blazers are like no like we're not like we like him but we're not going that far and that's so he's had offers they're just he wants the blockbuster trade package of one or two players who are immediately going to put Philly right back in that contender status as well as all this other stuff to kind of buoy his uh, future down the line. I think the other challenge that has come in was clearly the two guys that they were really hoping would, would pop free and they could chase would be Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal. And both of those guys over the summer and then continuously all the way into just over the last few days have said, both of them, they don't want to leave where they are. They they want to be in Portland and in Washington, D.C., and that is what it is. They don't want to go anywhere, and that's where I think now Maury's kind of stuck. He's he's probably just waiting for one more disgruntled star to, to pop up, and if, he's not wrong uh, track record-wise. Somebody will pop up at some point before the trade deadline that's looking for a trade, but even then, I question, is even then it going to be enough to get it done for him?
1: Does Simmons have to play? Before a trade is made, in your opinion?
2: No, I don't think so. I think teams know at this point what he is and, more importantly, what he is not. And I think if you're a team that looks at it and says, yeah, we can we can make it work with Ben Simmons. We we can uh, put him in, in our system, in our team with these players. It'll make it work. They don't need to see him play because... He's dealing with this sore back stuff, but everybody, all accounts are. I mean, he was working out very hard right before the season started privately, and a lot of people have said he looks like he's he's fine uh, and he'll be ready to go. So I don't think he needs to take the floor in order to be a tradable player.
3: With respect to the trade, this player is on a roster, has not played, and for all intents and purposes is not going to play at all this season. But John Wall, you know – from everything I read and listen to, he is a name that does not come up, so I feel like I needed to bring him up. The, the the Rockets have made it known that they are going to trade him at some point if they can. He's got a player option for next year. If they can't move him, uh, and every team knows that they're going to try to move him, don't they just buy him out now and just cut ties and take the dead cap
2: yeah, I and I think they would buy him out, but the problem is they want him to give up some some money. He's owed over ninety one million dollars between this year and that player option, which I'm pretty certain he's going to exercise and pick up. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think he's going to leave forty seven million dollars on the table. So I think the challenge there becomes the Rockets would love to buy that out they'd love to reduce that number do do what blake griffin did reduce it by some right. give him his freedom and let him move off but i don't i think john Wall's at the point of i don't need to do that i don't want to get, give up that money and to some extent he could kind of get where he's coming from this is a guy it looked quite possibly like his career was over a couple years ago after he suffered a knee injury then a torn achilles while he was still out with that knee injury it looked really bad for him. Now he got back last year and he looked okay. He's clearly not the player he once was, but yeah, I think he's sitting there saying, Hey, this is, this may be the last time I ever get anything more than 10 million in a season. I I'm not giving up any of that money. Uh, I'll let this, this ride. Now that's again, that's easy to say in October, November, when you get to January, February and It's starting to be playoffs and he's looking around and saying, boy, you know, Team X could really use a point guard and I could go and play a lot and maybe win a title and all those kind of things. We'll see if minds change because there was a point in time last year around this adjusted, obviously, for the calendar, uh, but adjusted in in terms of the the, uh, pace of the season where Blake Griffin was saying, nope there's no buyout. I'm not giving up anything. I'm here. I'm going to play out this contract. And then we all saw what happened as the season went along. So I, I think, well, let's see if uh, John wall changes his mind a little bit, but, but,
3: but to Mike's question with Ben Simmons, does John wall need to play this season to show what he has or do teams for the most part? know he has an injury history. They know what he does on the court or And they're just going to take it for what it is if they do try to trade for him at that point.
2: Yeah, this is one where you certainly would like to see him. And my guess is if T-Max is going to make a deal for John Wall, let's just say there was going to be a a mythical John Wall trade, that team would have to have some reassurances. And what they would probably set up is, hey, we're going to get one of our regional scouts to one of your practices. We need to see him. Because what you need to make sure is, John Wall isn't, uh, you know, he hasn't bloomed up like like our guy Zion and can't move and all those kind of things. Like, we we, got to make sure, you know, John Wall can still run and jump and do those things physically. But as far as playing in actual NBA games, yeah, you'd much rather see it with him because even with Simmons' issues, we did see it. It was only a few months ago that he played in playoff games. With Wall, we haven't seen him play in, in a competitive game in a while now. Uh, since last year and with the injury history on top of it you you would ideally like to see him but i think the bigger point is if you're a team that's going to be bringing in John Wall you're looking at a if you're a contender who needs a point guard you're probably bringing him in on a minimum and at that point it's yeah, whatever you know if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out we'll move on fairly easily.
1: Good stuff man. You're welcome for not bringing up the Celtics. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you're uh you're in, you're into it deep with that right now, but it's early. It's early. We'll have, definitely have time to talk Boston and, and maybe what kind of track they're on because that is uh, fascinating stuff for now. He's at Keith Smith yeah. NBA on Twitter, <laughs> and uh, we'll have him back soon, of course. Thanks so much, Keith. Thanks,
2: Thanks guys. Keith. I appreciate it.
1: Cousin Dan, let's talk some baseball, or maybe lack thereof, right? The uh, CBA expires December 2nd. There's some semantics to get out of the way before that. Qualifying offers, option decisions. Some, somewhat important with the free agent class we have in, in front of us. And then free agency officially starts November 8th. What does that mean? <laughs> are we going to see anything before, you know, the CBA discussions even even happen?
0: I, I, I think, I mean, speaking with you before on this, I, I think you lean towards no, right? But I, I, some rumblings I've heard recently on Twitter that there are some more positive indications that um, like specifically with like players link being linked to certain teams mm. uh, that, that kind of gives an odd, you know, an indication that there is at least sort of a mindset there that, that things may go in the right direction. So obviously I don't, I don't know the right answer to that. I'm just going off of uh, trusting other smart people that I, that I follow. But um, yeah, I, I, I tend to lean with you that things will be um slowed or delayed. I I don't think we won't see any action though. I'm not, I I think some of the uh, bigger name guys might hold off just to see what kind of um, situation they land in in the next few months. But yeah, I I I don't have a fair,
1: but I do think there's a chance that teams keep their own as quickly as possible, Or, or at least try to make an offer to get it out there because there will be so much uncertainty. You may be able to catch you know, a little bit of value keeping some of your players off of the open market when that open market is so, I don't know, fluid, liquid could be changed quite quickly. Uh, Let's run through some, some iterations. I threw a tweet out this morning with some bullet points that I had you kind of look over as well. I don't think we, either of us think it's crazy, but it's probably too much. I have seven bullet points here, six bullet points here. We could have added five more easily. There's a lot of uh, you know objectiveness to this. There's a lot of he said, she said. What is the one thing that you want that you are requiring Major League Baseball to change in the next three months, or you don't want the game back?
0: Ah, uh, I mean that's almost impossible for me to quantify. I let, let me because there's too I'll, many I'll, things. Well, I think. A lot of the problems um, that people find with baseball are largely intertwined with each other. And it's very hard to corner or carve out one specific issue that they, in my opinion, that they could tackle without without tinkering with uh, you know other aspects of the sport um i mean we like if, if you want to like focus on something like arbitration i mean there's a lot of mm-hmm. uh, uncertainty if the arbitration system works if it isn't it if it's not working what what do you replace it with what's going to be a better system I, I don't have a good answer for all of that um but i i think things like um you know uh Players being under team control for too long will affect roster construction and how players have been paid in the past. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Everything is so. There's so many nuances to all parts of this sport um, that I don't know if there's one singular thing, you know, a smoking gun that they that they that will be sort of held hostage between the two sides this summer. Does it make sense?
1: Yeah. Let me let me ask this question. Maybe this way is a, is a better way to start this conversation. Because there's two very distinct sides here, right? There's the owners and the front offices, and then there's the players and the people who represent the players. To me, the easy the easy question should be: Shouldn't we all just be trying to grow the game as much as possible? Because I think it's flatlined and or took a nosedive in that regard. I'm not just talking ratings; I think ratings are screwy. I'm talking people's actual desire to to play, watch attend, follow, talk about the game of baseball. I think there's a there's an issue there. And isn't that the root of where we have to get to anyway, which is increased revenues before you can talk about how those revenues are split? I, I just don't know that you're going to get the players to care about that. Uh, do, do you? I, I mean, I, I've heard over the past couple of weeks because the postseason games have been so long and arduous and there's no really arguing that. But I've heard so many people that are close to the players, maybe even players themselves or former players say, when you're a player on the field, you don't care. You don't care who's watching. You don't care who, how long the game is going. You don't care about commercial. They don't care about any of that. They're, they're just in this own world. So how are you going to get those people to care now, sitting at home, reading emails or tweets or, or press releases from their, their directors? To me this is where the NFL got tripped up. Remember how how this went with the NFL last March amidst all the COVID mess? You had so much back and forth just on Twitter from the veteran players trying to basically say to these young players, "Hey, we're we're getting bamboozled here. Like you 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 you've got to read this thing this in this way or you're going to miss some important points." I think we're in for that because I'm not sure the players have any attachment to these bullet points that you and I are talking about here at all, Dan. Uh, I,
0: I don't know if I, I don't know if I totally agree with that. I, I, maybe I'm misunderstanding your point specifically. I, I think I think expo- let me just to restart this question. You asked me a direct question. What would I rather see if I can paint a broad stroke mm-hmm. over it? I think to summarize what a lot of what you just said, it's exposure. I think MLB needs to fix their exposure issue. And I mean, that is intertwined in a number of different things, whether you want to talk about TV contracts and blackouts. If you want to talk about world series games, starting at eight o'clock and, and, and ending well past midnight on the East coast. Um, I, I I mean, whether you want to talk about the financial gate, gatekeepers at, um, you know, lower levels of, of baseball, uh, you know, in the youth, in the youth baseball industry, things like that. I mean, MLB has an exposure issue now. I think the players realize that and would directly benefit from greater exposure in a, in a number of indirect ways. But I think I think the owners are fine with baseball as it is right now, because they're making money regardless, they have no motivation to change or improve the game. Right. I think, I think the motivation comes from the player side. But whether they're specifically worried about every detail, like some of the details you're talking about, like, well, do you, you know, do you care about revenue or TV contracts or exposures? They no, should, I don't, I, but
1: I don't think they know that they should.
0: Uh, that's a that might be a fair assessment. Yep.
1: I think exposure is the right word. I think you framed that properly. My my point is this. Hey, you're right. The owners don't have to really care about it, even though, of course, they do care because it drives revenue because they're already profiting from the current model. But my point is, Dan, I don't think the players are attached to the situation close enough to understand that if these three things happen, even if they look like they're benefiting the owners, that's going to trickle down. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that has to be part of this negotiation, whereas... The the problem I see is is one of these one of these avenues is not going to be addressed in the CBA. One of one of which is growing the game from a marketing exposure standpoint or fixing the way that players are paid. Those are too big to both roll into one situation and not miss an entire season. And, and I think the goal here is to get back to baseball. What by June by July fourth? Uh, let's be fair about what's happening, Dan. There's there's not going to be baseball in March, okay. Uh, this is going to be ugly, and and unless there's some serious concessions built in here, there's there's going to be a long lockout here. I'm going to br- roll down these bullet points real quick, and then you can kind of react as you need. You mentioned team control. Right now, it's a six year process, three years of pre-arbitration, which is basically a minimum salary, three years where an arbitration system, if if it's necessary, basically values you based on production, playing time, your, your worth to the team, that kind of thing which is a halfway decent payday for a lot of players. That's 1 million, 5 million, 8 million, something along those lines, and it varies per player. But it's six years before you can then become eligible for free agency like Carlos Correa right now, perfect example. The problem with that, in my opinion, is that was fine as long as you were paying the player when he was 28, 30, 32. That's not happening anymore. Unless you're a superstar, unless you're, you're going to make big money one way or another, doesn't matter. You're now being paid for what you're going to do in your 30s versus what you just did at age 25, 24 in your prime years. So while, while that's logical, and I'm, I can't really fault the owners for eventually getting to this point, now that we're here, there's really no way for the middle class to get paid unless they just accept the fact that their arbitration years are their big salaries and they have to live with it. What to you is the biggest hole in that, Dan?
0: Well, well, I mean, yeah, the arbitrary, I think the whole six year, let's, let's be real too. Most teams are extending that into a seventh year based on, on service time manipulation. So that, that's, that's, that's a whole nother aspect of this. Um, And, and we've seen it. Baseball players are not, are not frequently breaking into the league at 18, 19, 20 years old, except in really rare circumstances. So if you just do the math there, you're into your late twenties before you're even sniffing the open market, which we have seen time and time again, the value is just not there, which, which to back it up it is the whole system is, it seems broken there, which leads to what you had just said, this, this upper class one percenters who are making a lot of money in this league and a whole, you know, the whole middle class and lower class in the in the in the league not making a whole bunch of money. And how do you how do you redistribute some of that so that it's not so top heavy going forward? I I, I am not a, you know, a financial analyst to know that, you know, th- the proper way to re to rework this system. But there are definitely definitely holes.
1: There. We don't need three years of arbitration.
0: No, and, and that's I the think, easy one for me. I, well, I think you could first of all eliminate arbitration but what do you replace it with i think whatever you replace it with needs to be an actual tangible system that both i mean right now it's sort of like if you ask the player side specifically what goes into an arbitration factor i mean there's there's guidelines but there's there's not actual specifics tied to it you know there's a there's a lot of subjectivity there so in teams teams have the blueprint more on their end and they can they know the factors that go in and can manipulate things like that like uh, relievers not getting all the saves or, or, or innings limits to, to not get you over certain threshold. So there, there's a lot of that stuff that that's why I'm kind of getting on tangents here, but all no. of this stuff is so intertwined with each other. That's that right. It, that's right.
1: And it, and it matters to both sides. And you're right. Uh, what I don't think the league will give up, Dan, is their ability to manipulate. I don't, uh, because you're right. Service time can be manipulated based on up-downs, based on waiver options, things like that. There's a lot of elements to the game that a lot of people don't really understand that took me specifically a lot of years to understand just kind of getting close to this stuff that the owners have so much control over. And they're not going to reduce that control very much, maybe percentiles to get what they want on the back end. But to me, because we run a multi-sport website here, Dan, right... (laughs) I know how every other league operates in a lot of these elements. And while I'm not closely tied to the finances of of Major League Baseball specifically, six years of team control for any league right now is ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. For all the reasons you just said, a these these teams are asking players to go to minor league systems and develop or or stay in college systems and develop. They're asking these players to go through these years of pain and low pay or no pay just to get themselves prepared for the big show. And I'm air quoting there. And then at the same time, they're also thinking to themselves, well, that's also going to make them older, which is going to lower their value. We can control them through their prime years, and then we never have to pay them. They figured that out about 15 years ago, and it took most teams about... you know seven, eight years to get to that point from a front office standpoint, but but we're here. That's what it is. They're manipulating the fact that these young kids generally aren't ready to play in Major League Baseball, and they can push them down and keep them down and suppress them until they're at a point where now you're ready, but I don't have to pay anymore because the system we, we game the system, essentially. So... I don't know that we need a a rookie wage scale specifically because I think that's very hard unless you reduce the draft and make it a very draftable league, which it's not. It's not a draftable league. So many many players are undrafted, international signings, blah, blah, blah. Uh, There's no real one pipeline to get players to the league. So you can't just say all the rookies are going to make this and then next year they make this and then next year they make this and then they become free agents. But some form of that whether it's two years of pre-arbitration where service time is very e- easily gathered, and then one or two years of arbitration. Because I do think players like the, the evaluation process of arbitration, even if they don't utilize it. It's still a baseline to go off of, right? It's still something that they can negotiate off of. But six down to four to me seems like the no-brainer. Now, can you get the leagues to do it?
0: Ah. <laughs> your guess is as good as mine there. I I would, I would guess, I would guess no, but um, that's uh, let's be clear too on this, that teams operating that way fundamentally is under the current structure and system. That is the right way to do it. Like we, I, I don't advocate advocate for teams giving a 29 year old pitcher, $300 million when he's not going to live up to that by the end of that contract. But, that's under the current system. I side with the players where I, I think it's, I, you know, for years, I think it's the, the owners making a boatload of money and the players not. And the owner, anytime a labor dispute comes in, it's the owners with most of the leverage. Let's, uh, oh. I'll just put it that way. The owners have the leverage and they typically bludgeon the players association into what, like, they'll they'll concede on one major point that the players association has and then they'll do everything else they have just because they have all the leverage Mm -hmm. i think this is maybe the one spot where the players have more leverage that they can really fight for some change where the owners can sac give up a little bit more than they typically would to to expand the game on on both sides in my opinion but i It's been what, almost 20 years since a lockout. So much in baseball has changed since then with analytics and how teams operate. I I think it is a perfect time for a reset. I wish it didn't come at, you know, likely come at the cost of a lockout, but I I think it is a time that we need to re take, step back, take a look at the system and and make some adjustments that I I think it is a valuable, uh, you know,
1: you know what's interesting about this? because you know last show I had Hembo on Dan, and the big discussion point that I had with him was the de- the potential and probably likely devaluation of starting pitching. If this is where we're going with analytics and the modeling and things like that, then there, it's very rare that any one pitcher on any staff is going to be, you know, m- tons more valuable than any other one, And it's going to f- kind of flatline the pitching rotations a little bit. That does that benefit baseball that they don't have one position of power that is going to drive prices up constantly like the quarterback would be in major league or in the n f l How does that work now that everybody's kind of in one big pool
0: well i mean i i think they're gonna frame it as in like i I think what you're trying to ask me is: Is it better off to not pay one pitcher 300 million and redistribute that? I guess what white. I'm saying
1: is: Aren't we going there? So does that well, yes. does that benefit well, these negotiations? Because there isn't one set of players outside of this one percent of elite players in any position that will be driving the force. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like they don't have to specify that pitchers should be handled this way versus hitters should be handled this way in every other sport. That's not the conversation. Baseball is really kind of bled together in we're all just trying to get our money and it doesn't really matter what position we play.
0: I think you're exactly right in that, that everyone's there, needs to be a fundamental change in like, not like it's my turn. I'm going to grab the most money kind of thing like agents want, you know, agents want their client, their client to get the singular best contract, things like that. If a player can be in a situation to chase the biggest contract, I think they're going to lean that way rather than having eight pitchers who are all paid $5 million on a staff. Is that what you're, is that what you're getting at or am I missing the assignment? No, I
1: do think that's where we're headed. I really do think so. I mean, you're going to have your one percenters as you've, you've mentioned, but, I think that's right. And I think that's one of the areas that the major league baseball players association should be, should be addressing positively. Like, look, we're, we're not a, a fractured league right now from, from a positional standpoint, there's no one position that's dominating financially anymore, or or at least we're headed in that direction. You know, starting pitching for a long time was that, and it's still of of importance. I'm not totally discounting it, but I just think that we can basically say it's all of us in this together. Whereas I'm thinking back to last March, Dan, with with how how much we talk about quarterbacks and how important the quarterback position it was to the NFL going forward. They've changed the rules. They've changed the, the marketing strategy. They, everything is about the quarterback. Baseball is all in, all for one, all one for all here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Anthony Rendon making 30 million versus Frankie Lindor making 34. It's it, it doesn't really matter who you are. And that's a problem for the exposure point that we're trying to make here. That's a problem because you have to work really hard to care about any individual player specifically. You have to work really hard at it. You're not just watching a game thinking, okay, there's the quarterback. That's the guy I'm looking at right now. Whereas right now, watching baseball, you could be watching the seventh reliever on the, on the roster starting the game. And that's going to be a growing thing. To me, that's part of this conversation. How do you pay that guy versus how do you pay the actual closer versus how do you pay the utility guy like a Chris Taylor, who's going to be bouncing around the field for 162 games? I, I don't know that the Baseball Players Association even knows the proper financial strategy heading into December, is my point. Yeah, I, You're I right. I, the game has completely changed. It's a reset button all over the board.
0: Also, I I think this is a good time to carve out maybe different systems for pitchers and hitters. I mean, not to like bring in the Otani conversation then, but mm-hmm. like pitchers and hitters can essentially be handled very differently from a financial standpoint, in my opinion. You know,
1: it's possible. Um look, they're basically designating separate rosters for them at this point. You know, most teams do, do it the exact same way with in terms of number of roster pitches versus number of roster position players. You know, there could be two separate payrolls. And there's been a conversation for that in the past. I don't think any of this stuff is crazy. I, I think all this stuff will hold up the lockout and, and increase the lockout. So I'm not really pushing for some of these smaller things. But here's the rest of my bullet points real quick. Um, a spending floor seems like it's going to happen. I'm not even going to... To me, that's a no-brainer. The, the owners have already talked about this, actually. Minimum salaries have to go up as long as the, 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 the luxury tax threshold keeps rising. And I want minimum salaries to, be, to vary based on your experience. So, so, so right now, Dan, a, a player with 12 years of experience, a 34-year-old vet, can be making the bare minimum the same amount of money as a brand new guy who just got undrafted out of college. Uh, to me, that's a problem. If you're going to play, if you're going to bring back Albert Pujols next year on a minimum salary, he should be making upwards of two million dollars, not six hundred thousand. That's a that to me has to happen to, to to validate some of these players' careers. You know, the fact that Albert wants to stick around shouldn't be a financial impediment to a team, but at the same time, he shouldn't have to make year one salary, in my opinion. And then I, I I'm on board with the pitch clock. I'm on board because I can't find a better way to immediately change the, the length of the game without drastically changing things. I I know that's contentious and I know people see that and they think, Oh, you know, they're trying to control everything. No, I'm just trying to control a little bit, right? Most players already fall under the category of like a 25 second, you know, pitch by pitch game. I think last night, did you watch last night's world series game? Yeah. We should name the pitch clock freaking the, inaugural Luis Garcia pitch clock. I mean, the dude has a cup of coffee and a biscuit in between every pitch. It's unbelievable. Where are you on that specifically?
0: A pitch clock. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think it needs to go somewhere in that direction. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, a lot of it is with the pitchers um, and, and, now two years what is it two years later it's in hindsight it's kind of ridiculous that they even made the pitching mound visit rule because it's had essentially no effect on the top of the game um but i've heard i've heard ideas um sorry to answer your question i am on board with a pitch clock it seems with the testing in the minor league system um Mm -hmm. once you're in that rhythm people have you know unless it's a pitcher that deliberately likes to to control the timeline of the game um people have it it sounds like people have said that they haven't noticed it after a while right right. that they they just adapt so um yeah just like another idea i ever heard that i sort of like is limiting the amount of pitchers in a certain game um but how do you effectively do that is um is probably more difficult um to execute so yeah Yeah, I don't have a the the the. I don't like to I don't like to criticize without having an idea, you know, an an alternate idea. But they have to fix the timeline of the game. Like there there should be no reason that I sit down for a baseball game and it can be over in two hours and fifteen minutes or four and a half hours. It's just it it it's a it's a major hurdle that they have to figure out somehow. I don't know how they do it.
1: Anything else? Anything I missed? Anything you think is going to become a big deal in the next six weeks that we haven't talked about here? I mean, the DH, well, that, that stuff's after the fact, in my opinion, like the, like the pitch clock, the DH, you know, pit, pit, the mound visits, things like that. I think that's all coming after the fact with the rules committee. But you know, in terms of the CBA itself, and I know it's diving deep into some legal stuff, but, you know, are, are, is roster size an issue at all? Is you know, the ability to go up and down should waiver options be reduced so that you don't get three eligible years of service time to do that. Um, I I know you kind of follow the minor league system a lot. I know the minor league system itself is a disaster and that should be addressed both financially and from an upgrade standpoint.
0: Yeah, that would be my main thing. So I think the conditions of minor league systems and teams and how minor leaguers are, you know, Fed and housed all, all of that stuff i think that's going to be a major point of contention with the cba my hope is is that it, the players association doesn't get bludgeoned at the mlb level and, and those sort of um issues that they just sort of cave on the minor league stuff and just let it be status quo but i i think this is like a time of reckoning where like it's gotten enough attention it's time to you know you know the, like these these teams just to I don't want to get into like the labor discussion, but these teams are making a ton of money every <laughs> single year. And I don't want to hear about COVID or 2020 losing mo- like maybe some teams lost money. There's no guarantee that a business is afforded a profit every single season. So these teams have made stacks of money for how many years and then they're going to one season they're going to cry foul like that. That money needs to be redistributed throughout your system, whether that's coaching, whether that's scouting staff, analytics staff, players, minor leagues, facilities, anything. It need it, we need to come up with a system that that is redistributed. But do I have do I have the answers? Absolutely not. So I probably sound like does it
1: mean less you. minor leagues?
0: Well, I think they've already done that. I, I mean, they've already tr- they've already gutted minor league systems, which has had an effect on forty man rosters. So that I mean that's. I don't know what, what more they're going to do there unless like they, they trim more minor league teams and then a, a, a different league spins off from that. But I, I mean, I don't know, in theory, I guess they could, but how are you going to find playing time? You know, baseball, you, your, your farm systems are so deep with so many young players that take time to develop. Where are you going to find innings for all these guys if you start trimming the minors even more? You I, know,
1: I guess that's kind of my point. Like isn't it so big that it's almost intolerable? Like, wouldn't shouldn't we increase the value of AAA and maybe even AA, and, and just have less people in organizations? Is it really that hard to find a left fielder right now? Well, from
0: fair? from a from a pro labor standpoint. I do, I'm not going to advocate for that's fair. You know, I, I not not even like a moral thing. I just. I mean, I grew up with minor league baseball. You did too. Like it serves a, it serves a purpose for a lot of people. I, I think where, where, where the issue, one of the issues lies is when the minor league system is so deep that career minor leaguers linger with the notion that they're going to make the major leagues. They aren't paid accordingly. I say, like, they become a burden on the system. Like I, I get all of that. There's a lot of factors that go into this. Um, I'm hesitant to say you need to trim the minor league system even more than this. Um, But I understand where you're coming from. I do
1: definitely reduce the draft.
0: I think you saw, I mean, that's a whole nother frontier. The draft system is like, (laughs) what do you, you what do you want to, what do you want to do with that? Um, I kind of didn't mind the more succinct draft. um, You -hmm. know, the last year or two, I, I don't know what's going to come of that going forward. I I really don't, but it's, it's kind of a wonky system that, I mean, there's another thing in terms of exposure, these other leagues, I mean, outside of the NHL make the draft, their draft, this focal point Mm -hmm. and, and baseball just, just, they, they, they do a terrible job with it. It's like, you know, this year it was scheduled during like other MLB events. So people weren't even watching it. It was, I don't know. People don't even understand how the system works or what their team is doing or, you know, and then you draft these players, they don't show up on your team for five or six years. It's, it's very complicated in terms of that. So I don't know what the draft does, but
1: there's. I think this is all one big conversation, right? Minor leagues, the draft, the promotion process you're talking about these guys kind of fall out of exposure immediately. I'm, I'm kind of bringing it back to that word exposure because I do think this is a big part of it, Dan. And also, and you're right, it's a labor issue. If, if we start trimming off more minor league systems, but there's going to have to be a cut somewhere. You know, the, the owners aren't going to give six team control down from six to four without, you know, taking a lot of money away from something else. And I have a feeling this is one of those areas that could be in consideration for losing money, which is crazy, but you're right. They have this 40 round draft, which I do think will be cut down to 20, which is what it was this year as we ramped back up. I think 20 is probably right. 20 round draft. I don't know. A dozen players are in the major leagues by a year in a year or two a dozen at the most. It just doesn't happen. Many of them now are sitting in AAA because of the new rules. And I think that's ha- that has to be the plan is to qu- get them into a draft that's more exposed, smaller, more impactful, more easily talked about. Names that we can remember in, in, the, in, in the systems of the teams we follow. And those players don't fall all the way down to a space where we, we can't follow them. You know, like Not even the local beat people follow them. They have to they have to stay within striking distance of the professional league so that we can follow their development, good or bad, and then expect a time when we can see them and kind of budget accordingly. To me, the roster construction of Major League Baseball is so fluid and we don't it's so hard to follow on a daily basis. So I do think while this is this seems ancillary to the financial conversation, to the revenue conversation, I do think the pipeline of how we get the young players here how quickly, how we get them, how, how we, we the exposure of these players immediately as they're drafted. That's got to be a part of this conversation this winter. It has to be because it's how you start to align yourself towards a, a better aligned, team-controlled financial structure. Do you understand what I'm saying? like at, at some point, the player who's drafted in the eighth round is going to be officially promoted, and then the clock starts on their rookie wage scale to some degree whatever that looks like for major league baseball it's not going to be as formal as basketball or football i wouldn't imagine but to me you have to fix the bottom so that you can then redevelop the, the team control years and then eventually get these guys to free agency at a more at a more appropriate age slash you know payability time right I, so i know this is a long way down for some some people to discuss but i think it's the right conversation and you're right there could be some carnage with minor league baseball because of that, and that's a shame.
0: Let's hope not, but we'll yeah. see. Uh it's we'll ugly. See where...
1: What's your guesstimation? I'll get you out of here on this. What's your guesstimation? When do we see the first pitch? Oh,
0: I mean I I will be <laughs>
1: glass half full guy.
0: I will say I I Yes. Maybe I am a little bit too optimistic. I do think there is a chance that they play baseball on time. Um, otherwise, man, it, I, I feel like it'll be long. I feel like this will be a long one, but I know I just like painted the both ends of the spectrum, but if they don't start on time, I don't know what the motivation is to, to get going with another like shortened season kind of thing. If if the issues are big enough to not start baseball, I think, I think it will linger for a while, but
1: I think, unfortunately, there's a greater-than-not chance that the 2022 season is gone.
0: Yeah, in full. Interesting.
1: Not good. Not good for not baseball, good, guys. Not
0: good, but I will say, it, okay, it's not good if we come out if we come out on the other end being the baseball that is the status quo right now. I think, though, if the cost of major change in baseball to fix things at multiple levels comes at the expense of one season locked out, Me as a fan, I would be willing to to make that sacrifice, but um, that's very short-sighted and doesn't take into account players and their careers and financials, all of that stuff. But I'm just saying, I think baseball is so broken in so many small little ways that all intertwine and affect each other that I think this would be a great time to kind of try and get back on track. But probably more, I'm I'm more optimistic or uh, I think I'm pessimistic on that actually happening.
1: Good stuff, man. Thank you. All right. See ya. All right. My thanks to cousin Dan, Keith Smith, and Scott Allen. And of course, to The Athletic, visit theathletic.com slash for 40% off your first year subscription and visit balancedbridgefunding.com today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Trek Podcast.